If I can't engage my territory, if I don't have the product knowledge, if I don't have the necessary skill skills or go and acquire the necessary skill skills, I'm sorry, I don't care who you are, you don't belong in the profession. This is Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast. Here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing. Stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your potential, then this show is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman, coming to you from the Gong Studios. Hey, everybody. I'm so excited to be hosting the next few episodes of Reveal. I'm Danny, and I sit within Gong's go-to-market enablement team. Been a long-time listener of the show, so this is an absolute treat for me to get behind the mic. We've got some great conversations coming up that I can't wait to share with you. So let's get into it. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Arwa Kadura, Chief Revenue Officer at Influx Data, the purpose-built, open-source, time-series platform made by and for developers. Arwa had a phenomenal article recently published in TechCrunch entitled Flipping the Sales Script. How to Break Biases and Diversify Sales Teams. So, along with her insights from her CRO seat, we'll talk a lot about in this episode how these biases are holding us back as an industry. Here's my conversation with Arwa. Arwa Kadura, wow, it is a pleasure to have you on Reveal. Please tell us, what's the deal today? How you feeling? You jazz? You fired up? Hi, Danny. It's so good to be with you. Yeah, no, very jazzed to be here. Can you give us just kind of the backstory on how you even got to sales in the first place? Because you didn't start as the chief revenue officer, so maybe indulge us a bit. Yeah, I didn't even start in sales at all, because I think I probably shared a lot of the preconceived notions that many people still have today, in which you go to college, and there are certain marquee professions that many of us have heard of that have really good reputations. You can go be a doctor, make your parents very proud. You can go become a lawyer. Computer science became a newer one, I think, in the past 20 years, where all of a sudden it was like, oh, here's a new field. Go after technology. But we thought of it more from a computer engineering perspective. Again, I graduated in the year 2000. The big high-paying profession of the day was investment banking. So as any good immigrant student, I went to college. I got what I thought the most technical degree that I could possibly get, which for me was finance. And I thought I was going to be down a path of banking or investment, portfolio management, etc. I stumbled into accounting and finance because again, I was analytically inclined. I was mathematically inclined. I had no problems looking at giant spreadsheets of data. And as I moved through my career, I went from revenue, accounting, operations, revenue operations. And then I became the right hand of a few VPs of sales. And then I realized, well, that's where all the magic happens. This is where the rubber meets the road for companies. You've got all the hard work that product teams put together and engineers, et cetera. You've got all the support functions that are obviously trying to manage the financial health, the teams, the hiring, the benefits, et cetera. But then you really have the sales and marketing teams that are sitting out there, especially sales teams on the front lines. And I became super enthralled by the mission of 
how do you build highly repeatable growing sales models? Up until that point, I think I personally saw sales as a black box. The people who I thought were really great at sales, I just thought were very charismatic, very eloquent, highly networked people who I just didn't know how to reproduce that. For me, I never considered a career in sales because we never even talked about it in college. You know, I didn't come from a family of sales executives or tech sales people. So it was really just a giant black box for me and not anything that I ever thought I would entertain or be successful in. It's funny to hear you describe it as a black box. I don't think you're alone. Certainly when I graduated as well, there was a narrow set of what were not just desirable, but acceptable professions. And sales did not make that list. And Daniel Pink, New York Times bestselling author, was on Reveal a little while ago. And he talked about how we are committing what he called, I love this, academic malpractice by not educating students in undergrad with not only what constitutes sales, but then personal finance as well. And I'm just curious to hear your two cents. When you hear that notion of academic malpractice, what would that have done to have perhaps changed your trajectory had we demystified what goes into this black box that is sales? A hundred percent. I couldn't agree with his sentiment more to almost call it academic malpractice in that we are taking one of the highest earning potential career paths, I think we create a huge misperception that either it's just not high quality enough that it's worth higher education, or that it's one of those highly ego-driven professions, which certainly come to understand now much later in my career is not what it takes to be successful. So I think Daniel Pink was certainly onto something. And there's just so much science behind it that you'd be shocked about why aren't we going out there and really trying to be proactive in training people to become highly successful sales account executives. Or, and there are multiple levels to the profession. It's not just one role. It's not just one function. There are many, many functions, the highest impact functions for a lot of companies, if you think about what monetization typically means. I'd love to hear your observations now that we're adding legitimacy to the profession. And you think back to perhaps this outdated perception, this is an old boys club, it's a locker room, you need to be this braggadocious, over-the-top extrovert person. Well, perhaps it did take that without the introduction or inclusion of technology. And yet now, think about the number of solutions that sit within your team's tech stack that now all of a sudden open the doors to, as you've described in the article, are you vigilant? Are you disciplined? Are you detailed organized? Are you process oriented? All these other qualities that do not simply fit within to that singular prototypical persona of the proverbial old white male and that we don't want that anymore. Technology, I think, has played two roles. I think technology in terms of just the new go-to-markets and the products that they represent. So I'm in tech sales. And so selling what I would consider SaaS and growingly cloud native products is now very different than the days when you sold large infrastructure or even large, call it one-time software and maintenance type contracts. So there's been a massive revolution in the products that we sell. And then there's just a giant shift in how you sell those products. It used to be Look, Oracle was the big gorilla in Silicon Valley, and there was no such thing as you would go and download a free version of Oracle and, you know, try it out. And now, if you wanted to use Oracle ERP, 
it was your CFO being wined and dined by maybe some Oracle high-flying account exec with a Rolex, et cetera. And it was a very long sales cycle. And it was bet that you were making for about five to seven years. And it was, you know, pretty significant investment in your company resources, et cetera. Sales cycles have changed because we've introduced the concept of PLG. And you guys have had other podcasts where you talk about product-led growth and what that means. Well, product-led growth is definitely here. The question is, how do you absorb it into your organization? Most buyers today expect to be able to sample your technology, use your technology, validate your technology, read about your technology before they speak to a single person that works in your company. And so it's definitely been transformed from a technology perspective, both in what the products are today, which you can now buy them in much, much smaller pieces, how you go to market, which now it's got to be self-paced and highly accessible, very little friction for your buyer. And then the third shift is also the amount of technology that we have to sort of measure the lead to revenue process. With SaaS and with cloud also means that you have a lot of metrics that can be captured to show you as a sales leader and as the broader sales management team, here's how many leads I get. This is how they interact with my product. This is how many people are accessing my documentation. Here are the people that are using my product versus abandoning my product. These are my power users. I now can be a lot more prescriptive in how I serve content to my audiences. And I could also be far more prescriptive in how I apply my sales resources in a way that doesn't annoy the buyer. The key is to provide value based on where they are. And so you start to formulate all of these automated processes that say, I think this person is running into trouble, maybe offer them technical support, or maybe offer them the ability to speak with a solution architect, or point them to your documentation or to your community, maybe user groups. So we're having to invest in a lot more, meet your customer where they're at, versus single threaded, it just goes customer, AE, AE is the ultimate gatekeeper, and then they get to decide whether they want to invest in that account or not. So in all of the steps you've enumerated to describe the 21st century sales cycle, this bottoms up approach, to be successful at anything that you just described is not predicated on you having a killer golf game or knowing which Cabernet to pair with that red meat at an overpriced steakhouse, which is so refreshing. And yet here we are with the misguided belief that those are still precursors to you not being just successful, but you entering a career in a profession that perhaps has some underbelly to it that you wouldn't want to associate with because of the connotations that comes with saying, I'm a saleswoman or I'm a sales guy. So how do you specifically at your company get the word out in your talent pipeline, in your recruiting process, so that you aren't, and I use this word deliberately, succumbing or resigning yourself to just going back to the low-hanging fruit of people that perhaps fit that more traditional mold? It's such a great question because it's always, it's easy to point it out, right? And the question becomes, how do we change it? And anytime I find a woman in sales, I'm always like, okay, tell me your story. How did you get in? Because I'm so curious about the journey that many women took. And my story obviously is unique. And there are many other women and again, underrepresented minorities that will stumble into sales. Today, the numbers are not good. And I personally don't like being one of the few female CROs and fabulous male colleagues and very talented sales leaders who certainly, we don't want to diminish what they bring to the table. We just want to bring others along with them. The way to change it, I think it really has to start with us 
educating. I'd love to see programs that actually start to talk about this at the college level education. I have a daughter. I spend a lot of time talking to her. I certainly talk to her friends. I have a sister who is in the field of education. No mystery that education, predominantly women just somehow fall into that career path. It works for my sister personally because of her kids and their schedule and proximity and summers. And look, there are wonderful professions out there. But then I start to think and I'm like, well, you know, you have a really hard job. Your job is no easier than my job, the demands of being a teacher, etc. And yet I'm always curious, well, why didn't you consider a career in sales? One of the things that I did is I actually partnered with, so Winning by Design, I think does a lot of good work on creating highly repeatable training programs for people who are interested in going down the profession of sales. And they actually ended up offering my sister a spot to go and take the sales training, right? And totally gave her just a scholarship to try it and see what she thought. And it was incredible. Just giving people the education, I think, really allows them to completely change their perspective on what it is and starts to attract them to, oh, I think I actually can do this. This isn't as impossible or it has a lot less to do with what I thought it would need for me to be successful. And so I think it begins with us educating and starting as early as possible. I think B, we just got to also recruit. Like one of the ideas that I've been floating around with my recruiting team is just to go to colleges and really go after female athletes. I think female athletes do fit the mold in terms of the work ethic, the discipline, the organization, the empathy, the coachability that it takes. And again, we've not suffered from, you know, somehow male athletes have figured out that sales tends to be a pretty effective career path for them. And I'd love to figure out how to do that with female athletes as well. Again, and then the other folks that make really, really great sales account executives tend to be subject matter experts. So if you're a subject matter expert, or if you have high intellectual curiosity and depth on a topic, often you will be the best sales executive in that field, selling sort of the product or the technology that you already know quite a bit about. And so again, like when I was talking to my sister about a career path in sales, Look, as someone in the teaching profession, there are so many technology companies right now and technology innovations being thrown at schools and teachers because of partly the pandemic has forced schools to adopt a lot more technology. And when she was taking her training, she'd asked me for a little bit of help. And I said, look, this is how you want to approach this. Flip yourself from the customer of this technology to now the seller of this technology. And how would you speak to somebody who was in your shoes? And how would you talk to them about the value prop and the pain points that they're facing and why they should even care about your technology? Arwa mentions looking in new and unique places to source a more diverse pipeline for your sales team. And according to a recent study done by Forrester, the results of a more diverse team are wildly positive. Forrester's 2021 Diversity to Report shares that companies with leading DEI efforts, ready for this, cite higher forecasts, higher conversion rates, and higher sales attainment, the trifecta. But that's not all. These leading companies also cited a whopping 24% increase in customer satisfaction scores over the course of the past year. Now, let's jump back in with Arwa to hear why throughout this episode, I could not stop smiling at what she had to say. I'm smiling on this side of the conversation because I think of you, Arwa, as a crusader, right? Here you are 
evangelizing and legitimizing a profession that maybe historically did not possess the complexity that it does now. But when we see information parity take effect between sellers and buyers in our lifetimes due to the proliferation of information on the internet, all of a sudden, the leverage that historically perhaps salespeople wielded over customers gave them the power to manipulate and then to use your words, sell snake oil. And here we are now operating, especially within the space you play in and the space that I've historically played in, which is tech and SaaS and B2B, to become so effective, you arguably assume more of a management consulting role. And I'm getting to my question momentarily, so bear with me. When I think about the legitimization crusade that you are on, it took a sales mentor of mine telling me, that, of course, he had a, a bias as a seller himself. He said salespeople are always the smartest people in the room, whether they get credit for it or not, because they are juggling however many different personality types in that room. You've got your own internal sales engineer, maybe your own internal executive that's trying to get the deal done. And then on the other end of the table, you've got the CFO who's got an agenda different from the business, who's got a different agenda from perhaps the competing priority owner. And here you are juggling or playing puppet master to anywhere from three to a dozen different competing priorities. And all the while, you're trying to save face and present in a composed, poised manner I was like, I've never heard it that way. But you're right, because the pace at which salespeople are processing internally and then articulating and vocalizing things externally, it's almost this, dare I even say, schizophrenic, wax on, wax off magic trick. And I'm wondering as you think about, man, had you been told, here you will be in a room influencing how the top companies around the world choose to strategically grow, evolve, pursue their objectives, and you could be at the forefront of shaping that trajectory. That has a very different ring than, hey, you want to go swindle some people? The way you describe that, I think, is such a fair characterization of what you end up doing for a living, which you're managing complexity, you're managing outcomes, you're managing multiple agendas, you're trying to understand what it is that people are trying to solve. In sales, we have something called emotional pain and rational pain. And often most organizations actually just focus on solving the rational pain, which is I'll save you money, I'll make you more money, I'll save you time. And it's like, no, no, sometimes there's actually emotional pain associated with a buyer's journey. And if you can both give them the rational, but really touch on the emotional, which is people are having to stay up all night to do something and you can solve that for them, giving them back their nights, you are changing people's lives, being able to help them navigate the complexity within their own organization, because they may be fighting for you, but they may be like, look, I've got budget issues here. And then I've got my legal team here. And then I've got my security team here. And so you're really helping them buy and you're helping them through that buying process. And to your point, you're helping these companies make pretty massive investments. You're the one trying to influence and stitch it all together. So you become, for me, the ultimate problem solver. And so if I had to retitle sales, it's like you're the problem solving team. When you talk about the reputation problem that sales has and, you know, how do we overcome that roadblock, that hurdle to introduce the best and brightest to break their preconceived notions about what sales historically has been. I think some of that, and correct me if I'm wrong, Arwa, if you don't fit what is that very narrow range or the aperture that only allows for the prototypical white extroverted male to exist in this world, then you don't see if you don't fit that narrow range. You don't see yourself in that world. You don't see familiar faces in the community. Then you're 
disenfranchised from wanting to join it, say we're able to begin slowly and gradually introducing more personas into the sales community, which obviously is a great thing, how do we then also make sure that we don't make people feel that there is a pervasive sense of tokenism as well? That, ah, yes, I am brought in because I am that DEI candidate. It's a really tricky balancing act. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. The beauty of sales is from a meritocracy perspective, it's pretty easy to typically tell who's doing well and who's not. Now, I try to go beyond the obvious metrics, which is what's your sales to quota? That is typically the last indicator of success. There are usually a lot of leading indicators that will determine whether you're being successful or not. We have Winning by Design actually had put together a framework called Rex. And so what we do is we say, okay, R is your revenue attainment, awesome. Some people are just killing it, and most sales leaders are not going to inspect beyond revenue attainment. Well, okay, but what if you were to go one level below? E is engagement, right? And engagement is typically a lot to do with your activity metrics. And so as part of owning a territory on behalf of your business, usually there's a healthy amount of activity that you're responsible for in order to warm up your territory or make sure that you're handling the leads and the prospects and the customers that you're responsible for in a responsible manner. So engagement is really, really critical. And there are multiple ways to measure engagement. Assuming you're doing well on engagement, then the next thing I usually look for is K. And K is your knowledge and knowledge of the product that you represent. So as any good sales leader, you typically will get on with your account exec on the occasional call. You'll understand, do they understand the product value, the pain points, how we solve the pain points? Do you have some level of relevant use cases and examples that are industry specific, et cetera? Assuming, again, you can pass that, you get the check on the K. And then the last thing is sales skill. And sales skill is that ability to do you fundamentally understand what a good sales process looks like? And this is where we don't really teach that. You kind of wait until you stumble into a sales role. And hopefully if you're lucky and you go to a good company, they'll teach you the fundamentals of really good sales process and what you should do. You know, how do you prospect? How do you write a really effective email? How do you manage an agenda, next steps? How do you manage an evaluation? Like a lot of these things don't get taught anywhere until you actually get a job. And then there's on the job type training. And so the combination of those things, I think, allows us if we are to continue to take a scientific approach to this profession. Tokenism is not only not needed, but the people who are going to succeed have very, very objective criteria in how they succeed. And so it becomes less about, hey, am I an underrepresented minority or female and I got this job? If I can't engage my territory, if I don't have the product knowledge, if I don't have the necessary skills skills or go and acquire the necessary skills skills, I'm sorry, I don't care who you are. You don't belong in the profession. Or if you don't have the interest to go and pursue those skills. Look, if you prefer to code or build product, or if you prefer to maybe be you know, a product marketing content person and you just prefer to write, then you absolutely should go do those things. But if you are interested and think, look, I like to work directly with customers. I'm the type of person who is highly organized, highly empathetic, and I love the meritocracy of if I do the right things and I go to a company with product market fit, then I can succeed. 
Well, Arwa, I love that answer. I have two more questions for you as I have hit you with a barrage of them. So I really appreciate all of your candor and honesty in helping to demystify what constitutes sales. Arwa, as you think about, again, this being a crusade that you are on, obviously you are not a one-woman band. We are joined by many brethren, sisters in arms, who are trying to push the boundaries of what sales can do. And I'd love for you to also talk about how as a collective unit of sales professionals, how do we band together? Yeah, I think as sales leaders, we have a responsibility to think about how we change the reputation, but also the DNA of this profession, right? We cannot continue to do what we've always done and expect a different result. I I do think that if we truly think that our best and brightest should know about sales, should be recruited into sales, then we have to think about how do we identify that talent? How do we recruit that talent? And how do we bring them into a role that can then be set up for success for that type of talent? We talked a lot about the science of sales. We talked a lot about demystifying it, making it something that someone can come into and give them a playbook that they can follow. So it doesn't seem like it's an impossible job that you have to completely improvise your way through. I think if we do those things and we start to, again, systematically identify the type of talent that will introduce new energy and new DNA into this profession, I think collectively, we can start to have a far wider pool of talent that we ourselves can pull into, which is more representative of our customer base, by the way, because our customers don't all look the same. So why aren't we pushing for our sales talent to also reflect that? You hear that sales leaders out there? We all have a responsibility. The final question that if you've listened to Reveal that we ask all of the guests that come on is this, Arwa, if you could describe sales in one word, what would it be? helping. I think you're the ultimate concierge for your customer base. And so you just end up being the window representing all of your company's capabilities from product to support to your pricing to whatever your customer needs. You are ultimately at their service. And so to me, sales really is you're helping your customers buy and you become the face of your organization. And so for me, it becomes one of the most gratifying and one of the most impactful positions that one can have in the company. Well, hearing your word choice helping, it is not in any way manipulative. You are, as you stated, the concierge to your customers. So what a nice way to put a bow on all of this. Arwa, thank you for your crusade to help us revamp everyone's understanding of the perception of sales. I'm so grateful that we have you in our craft, in our profession. And again, just really enjoyed our conversation. Everyone, this is Arwa Kadura from Influx Data, the Chief Revenue Officer. Arwa, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much. Thanks, Danny. Good to be with you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want to check out Arwa's article for TechCrunch, you can find it linked in the show notes. And if you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help your team win, head on over to gong.io. Last but not least, if you like what you heard, give us a five-star review, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may be listening.